Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers. I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. Hey, Kieran. Yeah? Somebody poisoned the coffee. Did they now? Yes. And that's a little thing that's called Domino's Secret. I don't think that was her now. You <laughs> didn't want to Dom- know that. I think it's Domingue. We're trying to disguise it so it doesn't spoil anyone. And if you didn't want to hear that, Kieran, then you shouldn't be listening to the show, quite frankly, because that is a spoiler. Now, that wasn't really a spoiler. And that was also a really terrible impression of <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, if I do <laughs> so What? I thought myself. that was a good impression. Yeah, I, pu- oh, okay. I, I pumped my chin out. I think the... Oh, you, you did, folks. I did loud, loud. No, the, see, people at he home... He squinted his eyes. People at his home His forehead suddenly got massive. They can't see my hand movements, which no. is like half which the impression. Which you do in regular show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're always smacking the mic. stuff over. Yes. Knocking drinks over. Yeah, it's all that, sorts of shit. It adds to the uh, ASMR ambience or element to our show. That's right. So mm-hmm. that technically was a spoiler because typically what we do on this show is we attempt to predict as much of a plot of an upcoming Hollywood blockbuster as much as possible, therefore potentially spoiling it in the process. That's we, where we get the name of the show from. in the name. That's absolutely right. But this week we're actually taking a break for that and instead we're coming up with our own plot for a movie. That's right. We're putting our money where our mouth is. Yes. So we're beating Hollywood to the punch and we're predicting what would happen in a potential sequel to Pulp Fiction. Yes, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, they can't ever make a sequel to Pulp Fiction and I'm sure we both agree, but we're going to give our best efforts to do it. We're going to give it a crack. Now, if you're not familiar with Pulp Fiction, it of course came out in 1994, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. It was actually co-written by Roger Avery, I believe. He's still credited, even though Tarantino basically insists that he did 90% of the work (laughs) these days. And he gets the credit for it as well. Yeah. A lot of people say say that a lot of the genius from Pulp Fiction came from Roger Avery's original contributions, but I've seen Killing Zoe, which was Roger Avery's solo effort, and I'm not quite convinced of that. And you've seen Death Proof as well? Yeah, okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Anyways, so believe it or not, Tarantino had actually planned a sequel and a prequel to Pulp Fiction. Did he really? A lot of people may have heard the rumours about the planned prequel. Tarantino has actually spoken about it several times, but the prequel is actually going to involve Vincent Vega, who of course was John Travolta's character from Pulp Fiction, as well as Vic Vega, who was Michael Madsen's character, Mr. Orange from Reservoir Dogs. Oh, that's right. They were related, weren't they? That's right, they're supposed to be brothers. It's Wait, all in did the you surname. say Mr. Orange or Mr. Blonde? Mr. Orange. No, sorry, Mr. Blonde, yeah. yeah it was Mr. Blonde. Mr. So Mr. Orange uh, wouldn't I'd, be appearing in I'd that. I definitely confused you Although there. Although he could be, I guess. They might be related, <laughs> but no. It's the Vega brothers, and the movie was actually going to be called Double V Vega. What a bad name. I like it. I think I'd, it could have worked. <laughs> Double V Vega, really? If he could make Django Unchained work, then he could probably make Double V Vega work. I, I guess, I guess. I mean, he's good at making stuff great when, you know. Any idea what you think would happen in that movie with the two brothers? I think it would be a lot of killing. I think maybe a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah maybe. that's a probably a safe bet. I think that's what I would presume. A lot of cocaine. I'm imagining they'd do a lot of drugs. I'm kind of seeing it like Max Payne, but with bad guys just killing other competitors. Yeah. Well, surely they're going to kill other bad guys. They wouldn't kill good guys. But actually, what it was going to be about was Vincent Vega is running a club for Marcellus Wallace in Amsterdam, and he's visited by his brother Vic for the weekend, and the two have a crazy weekend together. So it's kind of like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, but with more killing, I imagine. (laughs) With a casino element. Um, Well, it's a club, but it's not necessarily a casino. I meant the movie casino. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I could see that. And then, of course, the sequel that he'd planned, Tarantino didn't go into too much detail on this one, but his idea was that he'd Follow Jules around while he wandered the earth, essentially. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Oh, really? <laughs> Jeez, I wonder where your plot's going to go. Well, is that me pretending that my plot might not go there as well? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. 
But before we do find out, I want to know, what is your history with the movie Pulp Fiction? Well, I covered it a little bit in the episode that we did. That's right. We've already covered a Quentin Tarantino movie before, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, so you can kind of hear about my history about Quentin, but all the, all the, all the Tarantino movies, but Pulp Fiction was my first movie. Oh, yeah? Um, Ever? Yeah, I watched... Well, you mean first Tarantino movie, yeah, right? Yeah, first Tarantino movie. Yep, okay. It was, certainly wasn't my first movie. My <laughs> God. Just you're in the cot and your parents are um, wheeling in the TV with Royale with cheese actually, playing on it. Actually, I did see Kill Bill, didn't like it, and then, oh, okay. you know, as, as we discussed in a previous episode, somebody told me about Tarantino, about how violent he was. Everyone raved about Pulp Fiction. I picked it up. Wasn't I watched your, it. Wasn't like, English teacher or something it was like my, that? It was an acting teacher. Oh, an acting Said teacher. Said he okay. ruined uh, acting, he ruined storytelling, he ruined movies. Really? Like, Got to get a load of this guy. Yeah, because they were like, ever since Tarantino- and You probably just saw Kill Bill, so you're like, I agree. <laughs> so I remember watching this movie. I remember you really loved it. I remember you were like- yeah. You're a guy. It was funny. Like I'll our, get into it in a sec. Our yeah. relationship's kind of funny because we, you'll really like Blade Runner, and I'll just watch it. And I'll be like, Kieran, 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 I just watched Blade Runner. And you're like, I watched it ages ago, Maddie. Day. That's I'm old about, news, Maddie. I'm D. all about Pulp Fiction now. And then I finally watched Pulp Fiction. I was like, Kieran, Kieran, I just watched Pulp Fiction. And you're like, Yeah, I already watched. Pulp Fiction that. is so 2004. <laughs> it's so lame, man. So we never got to share that, even though I came a little bit late to the party. But I watched it. I enjoyed it. I loved the unconventional storytelling. I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. It converted me into Tarantino. I Wow. Looked forward Physically to Physically converted him into Tarantino, yeah, folks. He looks exactly like Tarantino. Him. I work at a video store and, and I- he has uh, a foot fetish. And I have a foot fetish. Yes. That's right. But yeah, um, I was about 15, 16 when I watched this movie, prime Tarantino age. What can I say other than I watched it, enjoyed it like a lot of people. It really hit an adolescent male mark. Yes. You know, and I was like just it does that, for a lot of people. that right audience there. Now, you can't say that we didn't share a Pulp Fiction experience because we once upon a time did a podcast episode on we Pulp did. Fiction where we reviewed the movie. Yes. And saw if it held up to being acclaimed as one of the best movies ever made on our old podcast, Best Movie Quest, which is unfortunately no longer available on iTunes. Not available on iTunes. we got to get used to saying that. Yes, but I think we will try and get them up somewhere again in the future if there's a demand for it which there probably won't be but I kind of want them to be out there again you can listen to our young podcasting voices yeah, our greener like, hey guys, podcasting voices welcome to Best Movie Quest that's exactly right but my history with it I saw it at a fairly young age I probably would have been about 13 or 14 I think I'd already seen Quite Like You Kill Bill and again Quite Like You I didn't really care much for it because Kill Bill was a really big movie yeah when we were around about that age so. yeah about 14, 13 yeah. The, I think the second one had just come out and so of course everybody was getting into Tarantino movies because those movies Kill Bill Part 1 and Part 2 were such a big hit that everyone was just like let's go revisit those older Tarantino movies and how good they were so I went around to a friend's place he popped on Pulp Fiction and I was enamoured from the word go I'd never seen a more amazing sight in my life I was just glued to the screen from start to finish quickly became probably one of my favourite movies of all time. Would I say it's still one of my favourite movies of all time today? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but I still hold it in special acclaim. I think I still enjoy it every time I watch it. Yeah. If it, if it comes up in conversation, I always tell people who haven't seen it, go see it. And yes. that includes you who are listening, which I don't know why you would listen to a Pulp Fiction episode. Yeah. Unless you are a real loyal Potential Spoilers podcast listener, in yeah. which case, thank you and watch the movie. Yes, please. If you haven't seen it, please go and watch it because we are going to spoil it because, of course, we're Potential Spoilers and we are in Equal territory, so we're taking everything from the previous plot into account. Should we get straight into our plots on Let's that note? Let's go. We're on a bit of a roll. So and I, I think say, you're going first, right? Well, yeah, I asked to go first, right? Yeah. Because uh, my plot, Kieran, is a bit of a mess. Oh, really? It's a bit of a mess. It's like it's a bit of a dog's breakfast. I'm well, going to a scrap piece of paper. Isn't that the standard Pulp Fiction formula? Like exactly. the plots all over the place. So exactly, you can just say you did it stylistically. I did it stylistically. So I want to firstly tell you what my title is. Oh yeah, for what is Pulp it? Pulp Fiction. It is Pulp Fiction Volume. Two. Really? Yes. But hasn't that already been done with Kill Bill? Oh, yeah. 
I'll do issue two or book two. Book two sounds good because Pulp Fiction doesn't that sort of point in the direction of a book or a book series. Yeah, that works. Or issue two makes it sound like a comic book. <laughs> I don't know. I just Is thought... Is yours more of a well, comic look, book thing? Look, if if you're going to make a second Pulp Fiction, I feel like the name sells it. So you've got to do like a... Chapter pop- two chapter, could also ooh, work. Let's do chapter two. Okay, okay. I'm doing chapter two. All right. And it's being directed by, surprise, surprise, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, really? So, yeah, there you yeah. go. Well, who else could direct it? He's doing it. So I just want to have a blanket statement that this movie will have very cleverly structured all over the place plotline and very yep. clever dialogue. So I can't, I can't for the life of me go into the, what our witty dialogue So you're dialogue tooting your be, own horn a bit. But just insert... Okay, so insert witty dialogue <laughs> where you feel it's dialogue. necessary because you haven't written any. No, no, because I'm not insulting the viewer. So, like, okay, the listener, fair enough. So, like, it'll have... In, You're it'll not have Tarantino, in. so you can't write like Tarantino. <laughs> it'll fill in the blanks. Okay. So, we're going to start with the beginning. We're going to have two criminals sitting in the parking lot, just sort of waiting out in front like of In their house. car? Inside their car. Okay. And I'm going to say that the actors here are Kit Harrington, who was... Oh, really? Who was Jon Snow in yep. the Game of Thrones TV show. And we'll also say I really struggled to put somebody here, but we'll say Liam Neeson. He's he's on a roll oh, right okay. now. And Liam neither Neeson. of them have Not been Liam in Tarantino Neeson, movies. Uh, Liam Hemsworth. Okay. One, one oh, younger wow, guy. Okay. Could you imagine actually Liam Neeson <laughs> uh, he might be and Kit Harrington? Movie. But anyway. I'm going to say, uh, really? He's in your movie? Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying that yet. We'll see. So they're sitting in the car. There's some witty banter, witty dialogue going on. It has nothing to do with what they're there to do. What would they be discussing? I'm curious. They were discussing... You uh, know when like a TV show has a really good run and they just completely screw it up in the last (laughs) season? Wouldn't that just completely suck? (laughs) How about when we? Uh, how about when we re- fr- rebooting a movie franchise where you're stuck playing the really unfunny secretary amongst <laughs> a really really unfunny cast of characters, not singling anybody out here? <laughs> yes, something to that effect. So they're waiting outside in a car and they find their target who they're waiting on because this is an assassination. Oh, really? They're there to do, and they see them go into the house and they're like, okay. They nod to each other. They're like, now it's time to to do our business. Let's go boogie. <laughs> yes. And okay, they, ramblers, let's get rambling. They take out their guns, their Glocks. They are, uh, you know. We need shotguns Load for this up. kind of deal. Is this just exactly the start no, of the original movie? Well, no, I'm paying homage. Okay, I'm giving someone. Enough. I'm giving the audience something familiar. So they head up to the door, all armed to the teeth, or they've just got their guns with them. They're wearing black suits because, of course, they are yep. all dressed up. Cheap black suits. And they notice that the door is open, so they go inside, and they're hearing... They hear the shower running, so they go up to the shower. Mm. And before you get too excited, Kieran, they walk up to the shower and they realize that it is empty. So the person came in, turned the shower on and left in a back exit. So it was a setup. And before they even realize what's happening, they turn around and see Vinnie Vega, played by John Travolta, oh. and Jules, played by Samuel Jackson. Mean Vincent Vega. Vincent Vega, sorry. Well, Vinnie Vega. Could, he could be called Vinnie Vega by his, his friends. friends. His friends are called okay. Vinnie Vega. And they shoot both of them, killing those two characters. Wow. Now, before you complain, this is a de-aged uh, Tarantino. Is that against Not the Tarantino. rules? Well, look. So it's a de-aged John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. Yeah, it's a de-aged Travolta and Samuel Jackson. Look, I know we said, you know, we're trying to go away from the de-aging thing, but it's just to pay homage to those two characters. And I guess they're technically both alive. They're so technically both alive. We could get away really with it. really break the rules technically. And it's, and it's the only time I'm going to de-age people in this movie. So okay, that's our enough. introduction. Credits roll. We see the opening title and we go straight. Oh, what music did you use for the opening theme? I didn't think of that. Okay. What, would you Maybe a- you'll use that weird Black Eyed Peas version of Missoula where they go, pump it louder, pump it louder over the top. That? Yes, they did. So why it would was we awful. do it again? <laughs> well, no, that wasn't in the original oh, movie. Right. The original movie was just the regular Dick Dale's Mizulu. Right. Or Mizulu, however you say it. But yeah, Black Eyed Peas just felt that they had to ruin it by going, pump it louder. <laughs> 
pump it louder. Sure, the Black Eyed Peas can play my opener. Everyone will love that. No, let's please not. Now we have a scene with Honey Bun and Pumpkin. Honey Bunny. Honey Bunny, is it? Yep, it's not Honey Buns or oh. whatever you think her name is. I think it was Honey Bun. No. Oh, you can call her really Honey Bunch. Honey Bunny all the time. You can call her Honey Bun if you like. That's what her friends call her, all right? <laughs> So it's Vinnie Vega and Honey Bun. They're hanging out and they're talking about how no one carries cash on them anymore mm, and that everything's, everything's done on cards. So they're talking about how hard it is to rob people. And this is present day, so they're a little bit older. Yeah. So they're both wearing surgical masks because it's the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> We're ignoring that. We're ignoring okay, that. Yep. But they're dressing up. They're putting suits on. Pumpkin's wearing a black suit. Honey Bunny is wearing a black dress. And they're right. talking about how the only people that carry money these days are the elderly and wise guys, like mafia guys. And mafia guys always carry guns with them, so they're they're really hard to rob from because they yeah makes sense they can kill them. So what and they're be- busy robbing people anyway. <laughs> so what better place to rob somebody than a funeral? Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then we realize that that's what they're dressing. Wait, that's up kind for. of like a real scumbaggy thing. Like people are mourning here. Yeah, well they're sc- okay. They're, I guess they're scumbags. They're criminals. So you want to raise eyebrows with this sort of yeah. edgy material. Well, very appropriate for a town team. This is where we notice that the funeral is for Marcellus Wallace. Oh, he died. Who has died, yes. Really? Too many royals with cheese. Too many royals with cheese. Big kahuna burgers. Too many uh, throwing people out glass windows and getting weird scars on his back. You know, he didn't get his soul or whatever. Fucked up the way that somebody talked. Tony Rocky Horror. (laughs) Yes, that's right. So this is the funeral that they're at and they're going to rob this area. So all these gangsters. Yeah, but, you know, they're not going to carry weapons with them at a funeral. Okay, fair enough. So Honey Bunny and Pumpkin hold the place up. They steal everyone's money. And one of the things that Pumpkin finds is Mia Wallace and a suitcase that he recognizes. Right. So she's carrying around the suitcase still. That's right. Of course she is. Mm. Wouldn't they bury that with Marcellus Wallace? We still don't know what's in it. No, we don't. Okay. And we never will. Okay, fair enough. But no, he gives it to his wife because she's the next estate. Right, okay. You know, it's in the will or whatever. She's taken over the crime family, has she? (laughs) Well, she gets that briefcase. Now, Pumpkin takes the briefcase and tries to unlock it, but realizes that the combination lock has changed since the last movie. Right. Because everyone knew the combination of that lock. Yeah, it was 666. Exactly. But the only one who does is Mia Wallace. She changed it to 000. (laughs) 777. So what they do is they decide to take the briefcase and kidnap... Neighbor of the Beast. Mia Wallace. Neighbor of the Beast. Yeah, yeah. 777. So they kidnap Mia Wallace and take the briefcase. Now we're going to flash to Mexico in a desert. We meet a bearded Jules. Mm, Interesting. He's strolling the earth. And in a scene that I will admit that I kind of ripped off Kung Fu. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. He referenced that himself in the previous movie. Because I was a real fan of that TV show. Really? David Carradine? Yeah. He comes and joins some campers. He tells them that he wanders the world doing God's work. But soon while he's eating with them and just hanging out, they get uh, harassed by some baddies, some bad guys who rob them Generic blind. thugs. Yeah. And Jules, rather than doing anything about it, just lets them rob, take all these possessions, take everything from them. Take his shoes. Because he's a man of peace now. Until the bad guys start harassing a young girl, in which Jules comes out and quickly disposes of all of them. So they took all his stuff, but not his weapon, apparently. Well, maybe he like... He had that tucked down the front of his pants, and they're like, I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) That guy's homeless. Who knows where he's been? This big pecker, to reference Hateful Eight. (laughs) This big black dingus. Well, maybe they had his gun, but like he used some skills to take the gun off them and shoot, shoot him. And then he goes and walks on his way. Two of the campers come up to him. I didn't actually cast these people, but they tell Jules that they need his help because they're trying to attempt to cross the border. Right. So like Mexican refugees. Yep, fair enough. Here at the start is kind of like- Very topical. He's apprehensive about it, but the husband, because it's a husband and wife, quotes the Bible verse that Jules is known for. Right, Ezekiel 25, 17. That's right. And this obviously strikes a chord with the old Jules, Mm. and he agrees to take them to a place that he was never, he swore he would never be back to, 
America. Mm. Now we're going to flash to Butch, who's in Mexico as well. Really? And he is old oh, as well. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. He did go there at the end of the last so movie. So Butch, of course, is played by Bruce Willis, and he's uh, he's a little bit older now. Now his wife is dead. A oh. shame because I loved oh, her. Fabienne. Yep. And he is training his daughter, played by Margot Robbie. Now, oh, really? <laughs> is an aspiring boxer, and we get to see I hope her. she's bald as well. <laughs> That'd be great. And has a pot belly. <laughs> so she's she's boxing like a punching bag. Oh, so it's just million dollar baby. And he's uh he's teaching her, and we can see that she's actually skillful. Now Margot Robbie's character, who I'll call uh, Holly, will okay. refer to her as Margot Robbie for the rest of the plot okay, because just it, to make it it's easy. easier. But she tells him that she wants to go to LA to join this fight competition, but Butch forbids it, saying that he was never going to return to LA, not for the rest of his life. Yep, he lost his LA privileges. That's right. Now she decides that she's going to leave anyway because it's a great opportunity and decides to leave with her rebellious boyfriend, played by Maddie D. <laughs> really you? Yes. Okay. That's right. I am. And uh, her second boyfriend, Kieran. <laughs> No, okay, you're you're in enough. there later. Don't worry, I've got I've got something great for you. So they wow, go. So this is you really casting for Matty D here? <laughs> well, isn't no, it? I, you know I just I just think you know blame the casting, blame okay. the casting, which was you, <laughs> yeah, and the writer you. So so Margot Robbie and Matty D they they're together for the majority of the movie, but they have just this natural chemistry, this this, <laughs> this natural romantic. They just um, have all these graphic sex scenes. <laughs> they take up a lot of their runtime in the yeah. movie. Look, they just everyone's going to walk away from this movie and go, Matty D and Margot Robbie, they just Ooh, like steamy clicked. couple. Was are they really together? There was there's something there. Anyway, so they leave to go to LA and Butch follows them. He goes after them. Now Margot Robbie and Maddie D have a conversation about a watch that Margot Robbie has, which is the Wait, watch. what's Maddie D's character's name? Um oh geez, I didn't give myself a name. It can just be Maddie D there. <laughs> Maddie That's D fair is enough. the character's name. You're just gonna call her Margot for the whole film. Yeah, it's Maddie D. Maddie D and uh and Holly played by yes. Margot Robbie. Please we're both, continue. We're both Australian, so yeah, it, it yeah works. there you go. Like works. Peanut butter and jelly. Exactly. I can see it. I don't know why. Peas you can't. and carrots. Yeah. So Maddie D asks Margot Robbie about the watch she's wearing. What's that stinky watch you're wearing? <laughs> Where's that bit? And she says, I don't know, my granddad gave it to me or something. Yeah, you passed it on to me. A little bit of a gag there. So now we go to Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, and they are held up in a dilapidated old house. So Honey Bunny explains to Pumpkin that this house used to belong to somebody involved in organized crime. Mm, And obviously they must have pissed somebody off because uh, they destroyed the house as well as them inside. What? So it's like completely destroyed? Completely. Well, it's like, you know. So what? Is there like skeletons in it or something like that? No, it's just like a dilapidating house that's obviously been burnt. Right, okay, fully. so it's been burnt down. So it's just the A-frame sort of standing there. And you can, if you look from the street... <laughs> it's the can, worst hideout in the world. You can just see Honey Bunny and Pumpkin just crouching behind a burnt-out stove. <laughs> no, it's obviously sheltered, but, you know, it's... All covered it's with soot in their nice suits. It's worse for wear. Then we go back to Butch, who finally catches up with Margot Robbie, who's now in LA, yep. and catches up with Maddie D as well. And Butch manages to scare Maddie D off. He kind of goes, get out of here, beat it, kid. And he immediately wets himself and Ma- runs off. Yeah, Maddie D's not as big and with tough. His tail as he, between his legs. Not as tough as he pretends he is, so he just scampers off. He's like, sorry, sorry, Mr. Butch. I won't do it again. I'll leave. And he, and he runs off. And so they go to a diner. Now, before they go to a diner, I'm going to say that the car that Maddie D and Margot Robbie, because Maddie D is a cheapskate, it ended up breaking down, so they don't have a vehicle. So they right. end up going to a old car lot and they managed to buy Vincent Vega's old car. It's really? back. Which one was that? That really cool one that he drives. Wasn't it like a red Chevy Malibu? Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. So that car is back. The one that in was the keyed. The one that was keyed, exactly. exactly. Maybe by Butch, maybe not. Yeah, well, it was by Butch, wasn't it? Yeah, in a deleted scene that was never filmed. Maybe Butch maybe says, hey, there's a mark in this car because he knows it's there. Drop yeah. down the price. <laughs> oh, yes, that's very nice. I'd like that. You should do that. All right, like I'll you're actually going to make the movie. When you make the movie, you should do that. <laughs> So they go to a diner, and yep. uh, while they're at the diner, they hear the news that Marcellus Wallace is dead. And Wait, did you say that Butch buys this car? 
Yeah, Butch buys his car. And so he buys the car that he keyed. He's like, oh, I just kind of wanted that car that I keyed. Well, it's a cheap car that can get Okay, fair on. enough. It's a nice callback. Yeah, well, you got to bring back that car, I think. So Butch is pretty happy about this because it means his LA privileges are back. He yeah. doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to- Because Marcellus Wallace is dead. Yeah. yeah. But then he also sees on the news that Mia Wallace has been kidnapped. Now, Butch realizes that although Marcellus Wallace is dead, I'm sure a lot of people would still want to kill him. So rather than looking over his shoulder the rest of his life, what he might do is save Mia Wallace and that'll make himself- Right. That'll make him Because he's been kidnapped at this point. That's right, yeah. that's right. And he explains this plan to his daughter. Now, he is overheard by Jules, who's in another booth, classic, oh. classic diner as well, who joins the table and points a gun at Butch and tells him that they will now be working together and that the Lord brought him here to fulfill this work for him. Right. So they're all going to save Mia Wallace and all be square. Now, Jules wants to see if he's got any friends left in the city because he's got dirty clothes and things like that. Yeah. So he needs to shower. And he realizes- suit, shave. And he remembers that Jimmy lives in this town. So he oh, goes great. to try to see Jimmy, who was played by Quentin Tarantino in the previous yeah. movie. As I recall, one of your favorite characters in that movie. Yeah, one of your favorite I'll get actors. into that. Okay. So then we get it go into a flashback scene because that's what Pulp Fiction is, jumping back and forth, yep. where we see the White Wolf after the White he- White Wolf? Oh. Gerald, Gerald of Rivia's there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Gerald of Rivia. No, you mean sorry. Winston Wolf? Winston Wolf, that's who it is. So Winston Wolf is, it's after the scene where um, Vincent and Jules get cleaned up and they dispose of the body and they clean the car. Yeah. And he goes back to Jimmy's house and he's going to tie up all the loose ends. Now- I'm not going to cast Quentin Tarantino oh, really? as Jimmy because he's aged. Because he did such a great job last time. I hated him in that movie. So guess who? But everyone else is aged though. Why can't you just have- Because I didn't like him in okay, this movie. Okay, fair enough. I didn't like him in this part. So guess who's taken the role? Steve Buscemi. Kieran. Oh, really? You are Jimmy. He was older than me in that original movie that I am now. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to, we'll put makeup on and stuff <laughs> like that. So. Okay, so you're going to make me look like Quentin Tarantino. You, you, yeah, you'll, you'll do or a great Or is it just going to look like older me? You don't believe in yourself. I do. Like, You'll do a great job, but you'll pull it off. Wait, so you're busy having hot sex with Margot Robbie. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm playing Quentin Tarantino's character. Yeah. Jimmy, the whiny so-and-so from the first <laughs> movie. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we're, fair just, enough. we're just casting to type. Sorry, here. I'm just going to have to rewrite it's, my script and make you a worse character. <laughs> it's, it's just typecasting, Kieran. Um, already a pretty bad character. So. <laughs> so he's tying you up as Jimmy. And Jimmy, what? because I hate Jimmy. Who's tying me up? Uh, Wolf. Winston Wolf. Yeah. Oh, wait, you said he's tying up all the loose ends. So what? He's just like, we've got out of here scot-free. No one's going to recognize you for these crimes. Jimmy, I'm going to have to kill you anyway. Yeah, because they don't want Jimmy talking. So they type Jimmy. So what, years later? No, no, no. Oh, this is is back in time. This is back in time, yeah. Wait, so Jules is still de-aged at this point? Yeah, but we don't see Jules. Oh, okay. All right, so we're we're flashing back. Okay, I'm with you now. Sorry, I was a bit confused there. That whole scene happened, and then the wolf comes back, goes to kill- Right, okay, sorry, I'm with you now. Goes to kill Jimmy. He ties up Jimmy up. Jimmy's like crying. So wait, so he went to Monster Joe's truck and tow, and then drove back to Jimmy's house. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Because Marcellus Wallace is like, we can't leave Jimmy alive. Right, okay. Because he's tying up loose ends, and also I hate Jimmy, so this is okay, my story. Okay, fair enough. I, it's your I, story. And I'm going to take Please care of it. Please continue. So Jimmy's crying, and then the wolf goes, tell me you're a dog. And he's like, I'm a dog. I'm a dog, okay. Winston. I'm a dog. Okay. And then he lights him on fire and burns his house. Wow. Killing him in the most graphic horrific, way. Possible. Graphic way. Because that's what this character deserves, because he was the worst part about right, that okay. movie. And then we can all leave happy. And then we flash to present day and, the, and we realize that the place, that Jimmy's place that was set alight is the place that uh, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin are held Oh, up, makes sense. Which is the same place that Jules and Butch are going right, to. Right, because they think Jimmy still lives there. Yeah, and they realize the house is burnt down and then Honey Bunny and Pumpkin realize that a car's just pulled Wait, up. so they're keeping Mia Wallace here as well? Yes. Okay, all right, makes sense. So yes. I'm still imagining it. It's like completely burnt down <laughs> except for the frame. <laughs> It's not completely burnt okay, down. Okay, so it's just partially burnt. Yeah, but they right. see they see obviously through a window or through a hole in the wall that a car's pulled up. 
Honey Bunny and Pumpkin are freaking out and a gunfight ensues. So they Ooh. all point guns at each other. Oh, Mexican standoff. It's a Mexican standoff, exactly. Pumpkin says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to settle this like, gentlemen, I'm going to take this rock and on the back of this rock, oh, I'm going to write... Wait. Just like in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, right? I'm going to write the location and combination of the suitcase. Whoever wins this gunfight that we're going to have gets to take The Rock and gets to take Mia Wallace. And they have a good old-fashioned Mexican standoff. Again, they continue the Mexican standoff. So then guns start firing, but they happen off-screen. And we realize this is coming from Wolf and oh. Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, wait. <gasps> yes, he is in this movie. And this is where we're going to have a flashback. This is like Winston Wolf's protege. Well, we're like his mini-me that follows him around. We're going to have a flashback and realize that in a series of events that Leonardo DiCaprio... When he was a child, apparently. <laughs> he was another mafia guy. Right. Who was when? a com- who was a competitor with Marcellus Wallace. Right. So childhood Leonardo DiCaprio, because back in 1994, he was still a kid. Yeah, he was a young man. He, he, built, he came through the ranks, you know? Right, okay. But we see him in the funeral scene. So he's there. Right, okay. he's, he's established himself. And he's there in the funeral scene where the robbery takes place. And he's kind of following them every step of the way. So he's... Okay. So he was there the whole time lurking in the background. He was. Like, Who's he was. that handsome stranger? Exactly. Exactly. And it comes up and it, we follow his story till present day where he sets himself up with the wolf and the wolf wants to also like tie up those loose ends as well. So they like point guns in the direction and they see this whole thing go down and they're like, Here's, we take our shot and they shoot Everybody. And then we flash back to present day. So Butch has gotten shot. Mia Wallace freaks out and Honey Bunny stabs her with heroin. So she starts okay, overdosing. But she just happened to have on her. Yeah, of course. Okay. She's a heroin addict. Pumpkin also gets shot as well. And Jules is the only one who's left alive. So the wolf tells Jules, look, leave since you're alive and we'll forget all about this. Now we've forgotten that Margot Robbie is in a car off scene. off Right, like, in the Chevy Malibu. Yeah, exactly. Because Butch told her, look, stay in the car and if things get ugly, come and help me out. Yep. But I don't want to put you in danger. So she floors the gas, drives right into this scene and crashes the car and kills a bunch of people. Car explodes. Really? Everyone dies. Wait, wait. So Margot Robbie's character... Drives a car into a whole bunch of innocent people, yeah. right? Well, not innocent people. She well, she kills, freaks out. She kills a bunch of characters by driving her car into her them. Her father's dead. So she's like, ah! She drives yeah, the car. It makes sense. I just want you to remember that. Floors the car, hits the building as well, explodes. I find this very interesting. Out of this crawls Jules. He's bruised and bloodied, but still alive, reaffirming his belief in divine intervention. Oh, very nice. And he realizes the suitcase is there. And because it got hit, the combination is broken off. So he can open the suitcase. And imagine this. It's Jules lying there. He opens the case. The case lights up, lights his face up. And we hear sirens in the background. And that's where we finish the movie. And the the soundtrack that's going to play us out is Love Shack. Love Shack. Because as we know... Love Shack Why was Love Shack? Love Shack was supposed to be the uh, song that was played during the rape scene. Okay, and he and he couldn't get the rights. So in this world, we got the rights to that to that soundtrack, right. and uh, that's the. So there's all this death and destruction, and right there we just have Love Shack, Shack baby, Love Shack. Yep. Okay, interesting that's right. choice. That's right. They were all scrambling for the rights there. Well, I suppose they couldn't get it last time. Might and everyone will walk away from the cinema and go, "Wow!" I Wait, thought, so we still. I don't thought know. Pulp Fiction was great, but that Pulp Fiction chapter was garbage. Two, was the best movie since oh, okay. Avengers. <laughs> well, there you go. I think that says a lot about the audience, but anyway. Wait, so we still don't know what's inside the briefcase? No. Okay, fair enough. I don't think we should. I was kind of hoping it would just be a picture of Quentin Tarantino just <laughs> giving the finger. Yes. That would be appropriate. Um, it's his uh, Superman script or whatever. What, what was he was writing a script for? Star Trek. Yeah, it's his Star Trek That's script. That's not a superhero movie, but yes. Yeah, he was planning. I think he actually did write a Star Trek script that never saw the light yeah. of day. 
He did. He which was, would have been interesting. I would have seen it. He was going to do a Marvel character. I can't remember which character it was. Who then. knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, he said a few interesting things about Marvel in the interim, so you may not be as keen anymore on doing on returning to that universe. All right. So my plot now. I've got a few things. My plot actually comes with a little pre-explanation at the start where I explain the intricacies and details of it. Now, when I was writing it originally, I essentially just had the typing version of verbal diarrhea, where just every idea <laughs> that was in my head just poured out from my fingertips onto the computer screen and I realized as I was about three quarters of the way through writing I was like this is just way too long we can't devote like an hour of the show to me doing like a fantasy pulp fiction script so I've actually gone back and edited a lot of my plot and cut a lot of stuff out and trimmed a lot of stuff down one thing I actually planned to do but never really saw it through to fruition through completion yes was that Butch was going to appear in my movie he doesn't actually appear in the finished work and he was going to take on the Mexican cartel and my whole idea was that Diego Luna was going to be like this villainous cartel guy who's making trouble in this sleepy sort of Mexican village that Butch lives in and Butch ends up you know having to take up arms again and take him on maybe right around hate that plot device yeah, yeah maybe a little bit i think i could have done something interesting oh, with okay. it but i'm um, had this idea of him riding around on zed's chopper with a samurai sword like cutting off people's heads that would be awesome wouldn't that be cool sort that of like the end cool. of machete that'd be cool but, but you didn't no. want to give bruce willis work no i well have you seen him lately he hardly gives the best performances maybe he'd bring it out for tarantino because yeah. by the way my movie too is directed by tarantino whoa but no that little plot line never fit into my movie because otherwise we'd be here all day you'd be listening to this podcast for the rest of your week because it would just go on and on and on like a meatloaf song so that's saved for the netflix yeah, absolutely when he breaks it down to a tv <laughs> show like he did for the hateful eight that's what he'd do anyway my movie is actually called giallo giallo and you're looking at me confused let me explain now Giallo is actually an Italian term for Pulp Fiction novels. So their version (laughs) of Pulp Fiction novels are called Giallos, referring to the yellowed papers that you get when you buy like an old copy of like an old pulp novel. So if you go to like a secondhand bookshop, pick up like an old, old book. The yeah. page is always yellow. So that's yeah. where the name comes from. And one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite genre of movies is the Italian giallo genre, which comes from that name, which is sort of like these 70s, late 60s, early 70s exploitation films, which I think the term was actually coined by Dario Argento, who did Suspiria, as well as a bunch of other graphic movies, which Tarantino loves. So, of course, giallo, another term for a pulp fiction novel, and giallo movies, which Tarantino loves, he'd yeah. be all over that, right? Perfect title. Exactly. Perfect title. Do you and- know how hard I was patting my myself on the back for that one i, I nearly winded myself i bet that's a, that's a slightly better one than my title yeah what was it pulp fiction <laughs> pulp fiction two chapter two look and and also it's a pretty good ice cream as well <laughs> yeah it's fantastic with a little bit of lemon gelato yeah <laughs> yeah okay fair enough Another thing I just wanted to point out as well, all of my chapters, I have chapters in the movie quite like you did, but all of my chapters have (laughs) titles. Oh yeah, okay, you had something, but (laughs) a little bit of back and forth, but all of my chapters actually have titles, just like the original movie, but I don't want to say them before the start of each chapter. You'll have to remind me at the end to tell you what they were, because I think they might give away the plot a little bit, because again, I was patting myself on the back hard with some of these chapter titles that I gave to them. Yeah, you're like, I'm a genius. Well, actually, I'll tell you the first chapter title because I don't think it will give too much away, but it's actually called The Diner Redo. Okay. Because the film opens up in a typical Los Angeles diner. And we can tell straight away from the film quality and the fashions of the people populating the diner that it's the mid-90s. So mm, if have it, we seen this before? If it wasn't obvious already, obviously this diner is the one from the original Pulp Fiction film. And when I say the film quality looks different, I had it in my head that I want it to match the footage 
of the original Pulp Fiction. Tarantino's a rich guy. He's got connections. Surely he could dig up the same cheap camera that he used to film Pulp Fiction. And I don't know why filmmakers, when they're doing a period piece, just don't do this today. Why can't you just get an old school camera? Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe they're too hard to run. Maybe they just insurance won't cover it for the film production. But why don't they just get old cameras to make movies look more old-timey? I don't know. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe people don't really... Maybe th- people think they can get away with it with the new age cameras. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So this is never going to happen. They're never going to make this movie. Movie, but if they did, like I said, it's going to be so close to the original footage, you wouldn't be able to tell it apart from the original. And the lighting was going to be slightly cheap looking as well. It's going to be great. So if you put the two films next to each other, they'd match perfectly. And there's a strong reason for this as well. Okay. So here in this diner, we meet two plainclothes detectives, Sonny Grosso, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Eddie Egan, who's played by Brad Pitt. Now, of what? course, yeah, of course, we've got to put those characters together. I thought they were great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They, they were. Ma- they were they make great. a great duo. They they had good chemistry, like so, me and Margot Robbie. So it's a, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's an obvious choice. Not the same sexual chemistry. Well, well maybe who knows? But yeah, I thought they would make great detectives as well. And that's a character archetype from Pulp Fiction novels that was sort of lacking in that original Pulp Fiction. Yeah, movie. there was no so, detective. Why not go there? Now, they're character names as well. I'm not going to point out what they're referencing, but they are a reference to a 70s movie of a similar vein. Any eagle-eared listeners would have already picked up on it, or you can just Google it. So moving on. Sonny and Eddie have been up all night at a stakeout, and they're ordering breakfast before they knock off for the day. And Sonny orders a full breakfast, while Eddie orders a coffee and a bagel. And this leads to a conversation, again, quite like your plot, you're just going to have to insert the Tarantino-esque dialogue <laughs> in your head. Dialogue. But this leads to a conversation about the stereotype of cops loving donuts. And even though Eddie likes donuts more than bagels, he feels that he can't order them for the fear of becoming a stereotype. And Sonny thinks Eddie's dilemma is pointless, since most people won't recognise them as cops anyway because they're plain clothes detectives. Suddenly, chaos spreads throughout the diner as we hear that Honey Bunny and Pumpkin are robbing the diner. Now, we don't actually see them, or maybe you see them from like archival footage from the original movie. But, of course, this is where it's revealed that it's exactly the same diner as the one from the opening of the original Pulp Fiction. In fact, it's taking place at exactly the same time as the opening. Oh, the so this Pop is during Fiction. the robbery from the previous movie. Yes, yeah, of course. I thought that was fairly obvious, but yeah. Cool. Now, both Eddie and Sonny exclaim, shit, and put their hands in the air. Now, the reason they don't go for their firearms, I'll explain a little later, but I imagine like they both reach inside their jackets at the same time and then glance at each other. But yep, they have no gun to pull out, so they can't do anything but surrender. Yeah. So now we cut to opening credits, and instead of Mizulu, the opening theme is Dick Dale's Nitro, which sounds just like this. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like really fitting, actually. Yeah, well, same album, basically. Same Dick Dale (laughs) album. So after the credits, we cut to modern day, and now the film quality becomes crisp and clear and looks just like a modern movie, modern day, modern quality, and we see a cinema showing Avengers Endgame. What? (laughs) It'll make sense. A crowd of moviegoers exit the building, all chattering excitedly about how great the movie was. But the last people to leave the cinema clearly aren't happy. We see a husband ranting angrily to his wife, and this is Jimmy, played again by Quentin Tarantino, and his wife, Bonnie, played by Vanessa Valentino. It's a little bit of author avatar here. Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's continue. As they walk down the street towards the car park, Jimmy complains how the time travel element in Avengers is stupid, lazy, <laughs> and doesn't follow its own rules. Once upon a time in Hollywood, which way better than that. This terrible movie. Well, who got the Academy Award? I didn't yeah. see Avengers Endgame nominated for anything, but anyway, let's move on. Bonnie just rolls her eyes, quite like a lot of our audience, and tries to tell <laughs> Jimmy that it's just a movie. But this makes Jimmy even angrier. And he launches into another rant about how superhero movies are ruining cinema and that proper movies, in quotation marks, are forced to go straight to Netflix. (laughs) 
Okay. As they reach their car, they're approached by a clearly drunk homeless man who asks them if they can spare a few dollars. Jimmy tells the homeless man to fuck off, but then he recognises him. It's Jules, played again by Samuel Jackson. I think this was obvious from a mile off. Jimmy asks Jules what he's been doing for the last 25 years, and Jules explains that he's been walking the earth from liquor store to bottle shop. (laughs) Oh, wow. So not as uh, grand as we like to think he's doing. Not as grand, but probably more realistic. So Jimmy feels sorry for Jules and gives him a few bucks and tells him that he used to think that Jules was the baddest motherfucker out there. And this depresses Jules and he wanders off into the night to comfort himself with a bottle of cheap scotch under a bridge. That's the kind of uh, wandering the earth that I like to do. Yeah, you're not even homeless. (laughs) Jules passes out and is suddenly snapped back to consciousness when a group of teenagers start beating him up and break his bottle on his head. Oh my God, did they steal his sign? No, they didn't. They're not that sort of teenagers. Now, by the way, I actually cast them as you and I. Oh, really? You and I are the ringleaders of this group of teenagers. Yeah, no, no, we're the ringleaders. So the other ones could be played by teenagers and you and I just really youthful. If you give us a shave, we might be able to pass (laughs) as teenagers. Why not? Maybe. (laughs) I don't don't know. Maybe. uh, Okay, so we're, well, maybe we're like the adult uh, kids that never... (laughs) Never left. Yeah, exactly. We're like those college kids who keep what, hanging what's, around. What's that guy in Oliver Twist? Uh, where Vegan? We're, we're both vegan, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> so they steal his sign, That's they kick terrible. him in the nuts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And an undercover police car rolls up, scaring off the teenagers. So two plainclothes detectives, probably in their mid-50s, oh, geez, I wonder who they could be, Yeah. Uh, approach Jules, but then when he tells them to fuck off, they also beat him up. It's time-travelling Jules and, and Vincent, right? Yeah, no, it's completely two Caucasian guys. <laughs> we, I think we know who they are. So Jules finds Marcellus Wallace. This is where I start to summarise my original plot a little bit. So Jules hunts down and finds Marcellus Wallace and rejoins his crime family. And when he's chatting with Marcellus, we learn that Mia Wallace never made it as an actress and ended up having a successful career as a porn star before eventually dying of an overdose. How did I know that you were going to do that to, to Mia Wallace? Really? Did you really know that? Yeah, yeah. I kind of thought that you might go the porn route and also also the overdose route because that yeah. makes sense. I, I toyed with that myself. Well, there you go. The overdose, that is. Yeah, not the porn star angle. No. I don't know why that came to me. I just like the idea. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, you just it like- sort of fit the idea of my plot later on. Okay. We'll get to it in a sec. So, Jules is paired up with a young hotshot gangster called DeAndre, who's played by Donald Glover. Hey, that's a great actor. I don't think he's ever done a Tarantino movie. I think he'd fit in quite well. Would, yeah. And the two clash over their taste in music, movies, and fashion. So, Jules is into funk, while DeAndre's into hip-hop. You know, (laughs) one likes fast cars, one likes classic cars, one likes gangster movies, the other one likes superhero movies. There you go. One likes Royale with cheese. They continue that whole superhero debate for another length of the movie. One likes... Kebabs. <laughs> Kahuna Burger. Yeah, okay. I think they both like Big Kahuna Burger, but anyway, maybe that's what they bond over. So obviously, Jules is old school, DeAndre's new school, blah, 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 leads to several confrontations and conversations. But the two end up bonding, and the chapter ends with them taking revenge on the two cops that beat Jules up. How exactly can be painted in your imagination? And one final twist I just wanted to point out that DeAndre is actually revealed to be Marcellus's son oh. and the future heir to the crime family. Oh, wow. So essentially, the whole reason that Marcellus teamed up Jules with DeAndre in the first place was because he was like, I don't think DeAndre has what you need to take over my position, but I think Jules can really show him the ropes because Jules was basically one of the best guys I had. Makes sense? And by the way, the name of that chapter, because we've reached the end of it, was The Path of the Righteous Man. 
an, an alternative title could have been Bad Motherfuckers. Yes. Yeah, actually, that's a good idea. Take your pick, folks. <laughs> Which one do you prefer? So now we cut back to the mid-90s and we see a young woman, Barbara, played by Margot Robbie. There you go. Oh my she's God, returning she's from your, your movie too. Well, she's part of the Tarantino alumni now, so she yeah. kind of has to be in there. He does cast all of the same people. So Barbara is staring into the barrel of the camera and telling us about how she murdered her husband when she got fed up with his abuse, chopped him into pieces and sent a piece to all of the women he cheated on her with. And then she continues to say that she got a taste for killing abusive men and essentially became a black widow, seducing sleazy men oh by posing. Oh, my God. Well, I think it kind of fits that shocking Tarantino vibe. So she poses as a prostitute and kills them in various gruesome ways. Now, her monologue is interrupted by a casting director, played by Christoph Waltz, and we then realise that this whole speech is an audition for a movie. I'm glad you brought him back, by the way. Yes. He wasn't in the last movie, so I kind of felt like he needed the work. He needed to bounce back from Spectre. So I imagine as well, like, the whole scene of her doing her monologue is just like a tight shot on her face, and the camera just slowly pans out. We see her sitting on a chair, and we think, oh, is this like a serial killer confession? What's going on here? But then, of course, when she's interrupted, that's when we see, oh, there's a camera there. Oh, there's crew there. There's like a casting director there there's a like a script supervisor whatever this is just an audition so the casting director thanks her for the time but we can tell that he isn't really that impressed in the hall barbara meets up with her friend claudia played by anya shalotra who played yennefer in the tv version of the witcher oh okay who is also an inspiring actress now by the way i just wanted to point out that the characters of barbara and claudia are based on the 70s actresses barbara boucher and claudia cardinal it's a very educational plot yes. throwing at us right now so claudia cardinal i just wanted to point out was the main character in once upon a time in the west hey. so of course i think he might be aware of that movie yeah tarantino would definitely be aware of it claudia also auditioned for the same part and it suggested that the casting director liked her better when Barbara asked what she did differently, Claudia explained that she casually flirted with the director during the audition. Now, Barbara also teases Claudia saying that it's her sexy British accent that lands her all these big roles. This leads to a conversation where the two discuss the whole casting couch process, and Claudia admits that she's slept with a producer or two in the past to land roles, while Barbara is disgusted by the whole idea. This is getting quite dark, Kieran. It's getting quite topical, if you ask me. Why not? That night, they go to a Hollywood party, where Barbara meets a slimy big shot producer called Jack Steinberg. Could you there get you any closer to Harvey Weinstein? Well, well, maybe, maybe not. So Jack Steinberg is played by John Goodman, because of course I have to have him in my plots. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot. Forgot he hasn't made an appearance yet. Now, Harvey Harvey Weinstein worked with Tarantino, right? Yeah, that's right. He produced all of his older movies. In fact, he produced oh, Pulp Fiction. Wow. Okay. So there you go. So this is Tarantino speaking directly <laughs> to that past relationship. He's really condemning. He's wagging his finger at good old Harvey Weinstein and the Weinstein brothers. So Barbara has met up with Jack Steinberg and she manages to flirt her way into an audition against her better judgment. So while at the party, Claudia gets roofied and Barbara saves her from the advances of a big name actor who I didn't give a name to. Maybe his name is Matty Do. Uh, and he's I played. The kid that well, he's not. He's played by Chris Hemsworth, who also appeared in your plot. But yeah, so maybe the character's name is the actor Matty D who. <laughs> Play that. I don't know. I'm confusing. Maybe I'm just getting back at you because of how I guess, you treated me in the previous I movie. I guess I kind of look like Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, so. you look exactly like him. So, so it's kind uh, of like makes sense. Yeah. Maybe he's playing you, except no, you wouldn't roofie somebody. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? Yeah. All right, moving on. A few days later, Barbara attends the audition with the big wig producer, but it quickly becomes obvious that Steinberg isn't interested in her acting abilities and essentially forces himself on her. 
This awful interaction lands Barbara a contract with a major studio, and she is promised a leading role in an upcoming superhero blockbuster. What's with you and the (laughs) superhero movies? Why are you trashing the superhero movies? Barbara signs the contract as though she's signing her soul over to the devil. Now, as Barbara walks home... Now, that's because uh, of the advances, right? Not because she's doing a superhero movie. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. As Barbara walks home, she calls up Claudia to tell her the news... But she's suddenly struck and killed by a car that veers off the road at high speed. What? She's dead. It. She's done. And that's where the chapter ends. I just wanted to point out that that chapter was called Final Callback. <laughs> oh, my God. Which works on a lot of levels. So oh, about it. dear. That's terrible. So now we return to the two detectives, Eddie and Sonny, who are outside the diner explaining what happened during the robbery. The robbery. The Margot robbery. Explaining what happened during the robbery to their furious police chief, who is played by Kurt Russell. He would be such a good police chief. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Just angry. Kind of like a throwback to Tango and Cash, except he's the police chief. Yeah, and he can be like, he can have a car that's- The laziest, uh... angriest police chief ever. Can you imagine <laughs> Kurt Russell yelling at you? No, you guys- I can't do Kurt Russell. No. He, he can have <laughs> a- like- I don't know who that sounded like. Hey, you guy! Sloth, <laughs> what, like sloth from the yeah. Goonies? He can be like, he can drive a, a car that's a stunt car. Right? Yes, yeah, exactly. He comes in, crashes into a lamppost, flies out, and is like, you guys are idiots. What happened here? Imagine he was the irresponsible police chief and like yeah. the, the other guys are being by the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see in a sec. So the two detectives explained to the police chief that they couldn't do anything to prevent the robbery since they had misplaced their firearms the night before. So this leads oh, us to a Oh, that's flashback. why they didn't have it. Yeah, that's right. This leads us to a flashback to the the previous night where we see that Eddie and Sonny are clearly corrupt and rob a convenience store. When the store owner produces a shotgun, the two crooked cops filled him with lead and threw the incriminating guns off a bridge. Now that's clever because that's uh, referring to the first movie where they honey bun and pumpkin wouldn't rob convenience stores because they would have shotguns. Oh, yeah, that's uh, totally intentional. <laughs> I totally meant to do that. That's clever. That's actually, yeah, it's a good idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was intentional. Anyway, so we cut back to outside the diner and the chief orders the two detectives to return to the police station and file an official report as well as go over mugshots. Nothing's more exciting than the paperwork. No, exactly. You never see that in a movie. Uh, Sonny complains that the two have been up all night on a stakeout, but the chief doesn't care. As they drive back to the police station, Sonny falls asleep at the wheel and veers off the road, slamming into, of all people, Barbara. Oh, they killed her. That's absolutely right. Now, These I just guys wanted... are the worst police officers ever. Absolutely. That's Again, they couldn't be. They're in a, like a Pulp Fiction style scenario, as in like a Pulp Novel style scenario. So, of yeah, course, they're, they're, not gonna be, they're not going to be shining angels of justice. Yeah, they're too worried about uh, eating donuts and being stereotyped. Absolutely. They're just, they're just beating up homeless people and killing people on the side of the road. Now, I just wanted to point out as well that the name of this chapter is Starstruck, which I was incredibly oh proud of. Oh, dear. Uh, now, no one is around to witness the crime, so they discuss hiding the body. Eddie points out that their IDs were stolen by Honeybody and Pumpkin, so even if there were any witnesses, they couldn't prove that they were cops and wouldn't be able to talk their way out of it. I'd love if they had the same wallet as Jules as well. They both got bad motherfucker as well. <laughs> or bad donut eater, I don't know. Jules gets his wallet back and it's just got a police badge in it. He's like, what? <laughs> Everyone in LA has the same wallet. Well, I've got the same wallet. I know you do. <laughs> So the detectives dump the body into their trunk and drive over to Monster Joe's truck and tow. There we meet Monster Joe, who, by the way, was previously played by Joe Dante in the original movie in a deleted scene, but since Joe Dante died earlier this year, he's instead played this time by John Travolta in heavy makeup. Oh, there we go. So he maybe he looks back. he looks a bit like he does in The Fanatic, if you know that movie. If you're not familiar, look it up. No, I don't. So Sonny and Eddie manage to talk Monster Joe into disposing of the car and body for free, as long as they do a favour for his contact, who is revealed to be... Winston Wolf. 
And that's where the movie ends. Wait, what? It, less, it ends on a cliffhanger? Essentially. You'll- so he just name drops it there. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm setting up for a trilogy of movies. I'm setting oh up my. for a sequel. So every time I do one of these movie <laughs> challenges, I'm always just like, oh, I've got to set up a future franchise. I've got to... This coming and of from course I'm man, never going to write it. I'm never going to write it. This man that hates sequels and trilogies. Yeah, and well, I'm a modern day Hollywood writer. Oh, okay. uh, everything I write, I write it with sequels in mind. Like I'm always leaving it open, but it can still stand on its own. If you saw a... Pop- this was a complete story. So True. it's already one up on True. Avengers True. Infinity War. But if you saw a Pulp Fiction movie, a Pulp Fiction sequel, you'd probably hate it. But if it ended in yeah. a like in a follow-on, you'd be Well, it's pissed. not really a cliffhanger. It's just sort of like a sort of stinger tight ending with a nice little reference in there. And you're like, oh, Oh, that's how uh, it all ties yeah, yeah. together. It was actually a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. I'm glad I cut it down, I suppose. But yeah, we'd be here all day otherwise. I actually could have squeezed in that butch storyline now that I think <laughs> about it. Oh, well, I regret nothing. I regret nothing. That was my Pulp Fiction plot. There we go. Yeah. So, dear listeners, who do you think had the better Pulp Fiction sequel idea? Or do you have something better? Yes. I really want to know. Do you have any crazy ideas for a Pulp Fiction sequel? I would love to hear any ideas that anybody has, no matter how ridiculous you think they are. You don't even have to restrict yourselves to our rules. You can use actors dead or alive. You can use them young, old, whenever from history. I think it could be fantastic. You could go further, but you can make it a prequel and a sequel at the same time, like Godfather 2. Why not? Why not? So if you want to let us know your ideas or you want to let us know who you thought had the better plot, you can send us an email at potentialspoilerspodcast at gmail.com or you can dig us up on Facebook. Just do a search for Potential Spoilers Podcast. We're pretty easy to find. Or you can just leave us a comment on this episode's page on the Podbean site. Alternatively, you can send us a a message, a DM, whatever they have over on Facebook. Slide into the DMs. And Instagram, which are the pages that Maddie D runs. That's right. So if you want to speak to him personally, that's where you can find him. We're everywhere. That's absolutely right. You can't escape us anywhere. send us your Pulp Fiction plots. Yes, or let us know who you thought had the better plot. I'd love a little bit of feedback. Maybe I can workshop my idea. I actually thought that a lot of my ideas I could actually recycle and use in like a proper script. It doesn't necessarily have to be like... (laughs) You're so invested in your plot. My plot was just like, yeah, I'm done. It was like a throwaway sort of fun idea, but I actually kind of like some of the ideas that I had Uh, just to toot my own horn. I could develop them into like a proper script. Nobody steal it. I've just given everybody my ideas, but I think I can workshop it. If we see this in the movie, we'll be like, oh my God, someone stole Kieran's script. Yeah. Contact Tarantino. Let him like well, organize. He's a never going to make a Pulp Fiction sequel. Organize a meeting. I just want to say that now. I am confident that he's never going to make a Pulp make, Fiction uh, sequel. You can make Gelato. Gelato. Giallo. Giallo. Yeah, that's it. Gileo. So Galileo. now that Galileo. Galileo. Okay. So now that we're done talking about Tarantino for this week, this leads me to discussing what we're going to be talking about next week. We're actually going to be returning to a movie that we predicted in a previous episode, and it, of course, happens to be Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How appropriate. We couldn't have planned this better if we tried. <laughs> yep. Straight from Tarantino to Tarantino. I'm actually really looking forward to revisiting this movie. Now, before this episode comes out, listen to our previous episode on Once Upon yes. a Time in Hollywood, because we say in that episode that we had no idea what was going to happen. We were expecting to be surprised. We threw out a few wild ideas. We were like, there's no way that we'll be able to predict anything that happens in this movie. And this was a movie we looked forward to. We watched it in cinemas. Yep. So I, I feel very excited to talk about it finally because we've saved it for so long. I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah. So join us uh, next week where we talk about that great big epic uh, Once yeah. Upon a Time Did we even get close or were we nowhere even near the crazy ideas of Tarantino? No, that's right. I don't think anyone can really predict what he can do, but did we pull it off? Listen to that episode and we'll find see. out, or just listen to next week's episode where we break it down. And until then, we'll continue walking the path of the righteous man. That's absolutely right, and it's time to put this podcast into dead podcast storage. Bring out the gimp. I think the gimp's sleeping. Well, I guess you just have to go wake him up now, won't you? <laughs>